Join the revolution. Fuck it. The fuck it button is the power button. Everyone has a fuck it button, but no two fuck it buttons are the same. Say no to fear, overthinking, shame and judgment. Life is short. Fuck it. This podcast explores when guests have, wish they had, would and could press their fuck it button. I'm Zoe Lem and this is the Fuck It Button. Gail is a vaginologist, guide, speaker, podcaster and former classroom teacher. After years of childhood trauma, Naomi hid from the world, protecting herself and escaping both her feelings and body. She has taken an epic journey to discover a way to regain confidence, purpose and to empower herself and others through her work and transitioning into a space of peace and inner oneness. Naomi has become a heart-centred mentor, guide and content creator that is using her journey to drive a path of confidence and peace, educating and enabling others. Welcome to the podcast, Naomi. That's like the most epic introduction ever. How did that ever. sound, being described like that? Actually, that I'm trying to learn to receive, so I'm really yep. receiving. Good. That, so it's it's not easy, is it? We no. kind of, we think, you know... I mean, I've found t- taking compliments has been a massive learning journey. I'd be, oh, no, no, not me. Oh, this old thing. Oh, I got it in a charity shop. Oh, I didn't mean to put this on. I didn't mean, no, it can't be me. It's hard, isn't it? Really hard. We're conditioned in society to not take compliments, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I think especially in this country, we're just, we're not quite as good at singing our own praises. And I think we find it hard. And also, I, I don't know whether there's something that we kind of attach that idea of, Saying anything nice about ourselves is sort of bigging ourselves up. It's being ego, we overconfident. But actually, sometimes that whole self worth and and sort of as you say, holding space for yourself is essential. Really, it's very difficult, especially now. You know, you're in a, a sort of role that is about giving and enabling others, and we're both mothers. You know, that whole side of things. I've t- it's taken me a while to learn that whole idea that looking after myself and being a best version of myself for myself means I can be the best version of myself for other people and as a giving and empath and that you can't do that if you don't kind of you know look after yourself Mm, yeah we've been recently I've been in this coaching container and been learning to brag yeah now that word brag to brag yeah yeah can actually feel very difficult just that yeah yeah um can be taken lots of different ways can't it it's almost it's almost quite an old school well word it's like it's from being it's called you bragger <laughs> yeah but you see how that's all like that's it isn't yeah, yeah. it it's, it's a used conditioning. as a bit of a stick rather yes. than a praise yes as a word yeah but so subconsciously how's... we need to remember to brag sorry yeah, yeah, we need yeah. to be no, able nice. to um brag and um, because the subconscious obviously latches on to all the negativity or the you know we forget to celebrate these smaller milestones bigger milestones yeah. so we actually need to be conditioning ourselves to to brag celebrate and <laughs> we do and I think there was something actually we were I was in the studio yesterday recording another interview and I think I said something so like flippantly and I said I did something wrong or I thought I'd done something wrong and I, I just, without even thinking about it, said, oh, I was just sorry, I was just having a bit of a blonde moment. 
I'm like, oh. what a bad thing to, I mean, the more you sort of, I was saying it and I kind of, I don't hold any negativity towards myself. I don't actually believe it either, which mm. is ridiculous. Mm. And it's out of a bottle. <laughs> I mean, I was blonde, but it's out of a bottle. So I'm not even naturally this blonde uh, these days. But I kind of really naturally went into a place of just saying, like, almost apologising for myself for something that was just a really silly human error. No one else even noticed. But I was like, oh, sorry, I was having a block. Like, oh, stupid me. And I think especially as women, we're kind of especially good at being self-deprecating, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I'm in a group with a few Americans as well. And I made the comment, I said, I think the British are even more self-deprecating than other nations. Yeah. I'm not saying every nation, but I'm no, saying no. from what I see. Yeah, yeah. And the Americans did agree. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think so. It's just the whole, I mean, it's it's the way that sort of politics is done over there. It's the way that hospitality, have a nice day. You know, we barely kind of, kind of confidently even say words like that in hospitality you know oh and you know we pass push past someone oh I'm so sorry I'm so sorry for taking up space I'm so sorry for being in this air you know we kind of and I think you know the whole so self-confidence I was talking about it before self-confidence is not the same as self-worth and I think one of the things Attached to being a human, attached to being a female, attached to being a mother, attached to being someone who's had early trauma, which, you know, our traumas are different, but both have, uh, you know, some level of past that impacts our present, that we're having to work through. And I think all of those things added together makes us really naturally good at not having self-worth. Mm -hmm. And... It's been one of the biggest things that's come for me out of doing, you know, so far like two years of therapy and a lot of Reiki and a lot of other things to deal with various layers of past for me and just a natural, I don't know, position of no boundaries and Mm self-worth, which no one would have imagined because I have this external shell of confidence, mad clothes and a shaved head. But it has been present, which then transposes in like self-esteem and all of these things. But mm-hmm. I think self-worth is is indicative and like just, it's just the root of everything, isn't it? Mm. You can't, it's very difficult, especially as a mother, to be empowering and educating our children to have self-worth when we don't have it ourselves. Show, yeah. don't tell, isn't it? It's kind of, mm. so I just want to, rather than kind of, begin right at the beginning and and go through a whole timeline I wanted to ask you a few questions about what makes you tick Um, so maybe starting with what brings you joy and happiness Mm. Naomi Gale (laughs) I've been on a bit of a journey with that yeah there was a moment when I asked my husband and I went through a challenging few weeks and there was a moment and I said do you think I fully enjoy life like do you think i fully enjoy life and he was like no and just that no really confident no really outright no and it hit me so hard and I was thinking gosh actually when I look at it maybe there isn't that joy and happiness that I thought that there was how does it I mean I I guess there's one thing is how you felt like as, as far as your response to that question but the fact that he knew with certainty without any questioning yeah. that that was the case how do you think that 
had been, I guess, reflected out from your uh, sort of, I guess, demeanour, actions, words, that he was able to identify that. I think it's just because I I never give myself t- gave myself time. Yeah. Past tense. Yeah. Uh, to to I'm glad enjoy. It's past tense. It is past tense. <laughs> to enjoy uh, the the moments of life. It was always like living out of my body being like what's the next thing what's yeah. the next thing I can relate <laughs> <laughs> and never really fully taking that that present moment or being like okay well I haven't achieved my to-do list you know what's yeah. next what's next what's next what's next so I think that that very much so it was so prevalent for him that it was an easy no that you don't and I think also over the years I'd probably lost that sense of spark yeah. You know, that Do you think that that was partly impacted by having the children mm. and giving, you know, you just give so much as a mother, don't you? You kind of, you know, figuratively and literally. Mm. Yeah. And I think although I'd quit my, you know, classroom based job. Yeah. Outwardly, it would look like, oh, OK, there she is living her best life, you know, she. Yeah. But at the same time, I'd gone through such a journey to get to this point. Yeah. And then I didn't have children the normal way that we have children I'd gone through such a journey with that so it kind of had been more of a grind really for me life had felt more of a grind than perhaps um, than perhaps it looked like but what now brings me joy and happiness is actually being in mother nature as much as possible and moving to Margate has been really instrumental in me understanding what that really looks like for me being by the sea yeah. and taking all that time actually in the summer everyone asked me if i'd been away on holiday yeah and i was like no just been on margate beach babe yeah. <laughs> how long ago did you move to margate um coming up two years now so well we'll talk about the fuck it button in a minute but i mean i, I there is one thing that connects everyone in Margate is that there's some level of fuck it button that's been pressed to actually take make that move because yeah. a lot of people in margate are from London or other places and have chosen a different way of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether it's running to the sea for healing, whether it's a change of lifestyle, change of career, change of whatever, there is an element of that, isn't there? I mean, that's maybe partly what what connects people on some level um, mm-hmm. in a place like Margate. And there are obviously, there are other places like that, whether it's coastal or... Um, so you moved couple of years ago you're how old are your children i've got twins who are four and my son who's six so they're young still aren't they yeah they're young. it's um it's a funny old role isn't it as a mother and a female of trying to work out so when you um began so you said that your your journey to motherhood was maybe not as conventional yeah um before getting to that point of looking at motherhood as an option, mm-hmm. you've worked through past trauma. Mm-hmm. How had that journey then impacted being making that decision of being ready for motherhood, or what? What? What for you had to happen with dealing with? I mean, I don't know how much you want to talk about any of that past, or, or sort of what it was that just impacted your need for a healing journey Mm. um but where did you need to get to to get ready for the idea of motherhood however that sort of 
became. But it was, unfortunately, it was the other way around, which is what I find really interesting when people say, oh, I'm not ready to be a mother. Yeah. I've got so much... Are we allowed to swear? Yeah. It's called fuck it button love. Oh, yeah. I mean, listen. <laughs> Of course if it ever is. there were a podcast that you were allowed to swear, I, I would say this is it. Yeah, it's the fuck it button. It's, fu- it's fuck a swear word, though. Well, I don't. Listen, do you know what? The funny thing is, I've got earrings that say fuck it on it. Um, and even my mum said to me um, when she first saw them, why have you got the word sex on your ears? Sex? What? It looked like sex? Well, no, it's the word fuck, which oh. obviously means sex, oh, but so fuck she... it is very different oh, to fuck. Right. It's like, does it mean something different now? Does the word fuck not mean sex? I'm like, well, it does, but fuck it is very different to fuck. Right, right, And right. also as a swear word, it has become less intense over the years. Like 30 years ago, it was considered more severe. Mm, um, yeah. But I yes, can you can that. swear. Okay, great. <laughs> Um, you know, they say, I got so much shit, I can't, I, I don't feel like I should be a mother. Yeah. <clears throat> or I'll bring all my shit to motherhood, or yeah. I, I'd put that on my child. Yeah. Um, and when when we started trying for um, a baby, I hadn't really thought about all my past shit, to be honest. No. I hadn't really thought about it. I had, hadn't really been on much of a healing journey. I'd done yoga for a few years, and I'd understood what burnout looked like, and I'd been and I'd completely lost myself through burnout. Um, but I was like, well, there was a part of me that thought maybe having a baby would be the answer to my childhood challenges that I've had. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but then we ended up- There's nothing like a good bit of escape to deal with some trauma. Exactly. <laughs> I've got to learn that. Exactly. And then my husband's got a zoospermia. I always like to um, share it because I always like to raise awareness to yeah. it in case- Say it again. A zoospermia. So okay. it's basically- Explain for- So basically it's where um, somebody would have no sperm at all okay and sadly it's not well known it's not a big thing but what i see a lot of is that um we as women put the blame on ourselves if we are unable to conceive yeah and i always say to to clients actually it's really important that you check your partner first yeah because at the end of the day it's much easier for them to jizz into a pot than it is for you to go and have all the scans and the blood tests and the speculum yeah yeah like you know he goes and has a quick wank easy (laughs) right check that first yeah Um, and actually incidentally I did do that and there was no sperm so unfortunately we were thrown into this fertility journey that Mm. brought up a lot and it was really challenging and it was, and then I hit the second round. I had my son, and then I was like, right, well, I'm going to do it again because I don't want this to. So, what did that look like then? So, how how did you get round that whole s- s- solution of him him having no sperm? So, the NHS people always think, oh, well, you just have NHS support, but they forget that it's a postcode lottery. There's a lot of rules, and um, you're given different things. So, if he has no sperm, then you have to donor sperm, and donor yeah. sperm in this country is honestly one of the most. Well, there's actually been programs on the underworld of do- donor sperm, yeah. um, because it's so problematic here. They I changed the laws a few, only a few years ago that at 18, the child has the right to seek out the father, vice versa, the donor. Right. Well, no one wants to have a queue of 18 children at their door, do they? Yeah, so yeah. I say 18, I've used that word, but you know what I mean, like nine, 10, <laughs> yeah, yeah. whatever. Well, there is know. a limit. Any number, there is a just... limit, but you know, you wouldn't want that. So you, this, is an, this is a gift. 
and the con- this country has changed that drastically and also um, clinics in this country will only import sperm from certain places right. so my husband is quite dark he um, would not be very Swedish looking now no. I'm not saying that you need a child to look like you in this donor situation but I'm saying it's just sometimes it's nicer to know that your child's not going to come out blue eyed blonde hair and yeah, yeah, like yeah. very Swedish well and if it doesn't need to be need you know to if, be. yeah right so we were like okay well let's let's try other when you're in that world it's like okay where what do we do so we went to Athens and we went to Greece for our treatment um, and we donor sperm from had donor sperm from there so there it's very different rules the child has no right to the to you know meet the donor the only time you would need the information is if there was like a real medical need yeah this goes down differently with different people some people are shook by this and some people are like I get it at the end of the day it's just sperm right yeah. it's it, the, the the actual we all know based on our parenting <laughs> that it actually matters about the dad and the fathering and yeah but um yeah some people can't handle this conversation very well so um yeah so we we did that and then i had my son through iui which is basically well-timed sex so it's not ivf okay. it's iui is when they so it's natural but very strategic yes that's it. It's like, when's the egg? Here's the sperm. They put the sperm up. You watch the sperm on the screen. It's amazing. Yeah. And um, yeah, I got pregnant first time despite nine months of hell through the NHS saying you would never have a child. Um, I mean, that's, I think, um, it's difficult. I've had various experiences with the NHS that have been amazing yes. and others that through yes. even diagnosis with my brother and my grandma that yeah my mum had to seek second opinions when my brother uh, had a brain tumor right. they told me I had a flu right and you know and various things I mean it's a long time ago and then you know but I think there is still a lot of trauma attached to experience isn't there yeah there is and and the nhs is amazing and also it's stretched overstretched and yeah. um, also there is a massive gap in understanding women's feminine health sadly yeah um and i've recently spoken to a doctor about this um and they literally don't have to have any training before they end up in the gp surgery no so it blows well, my it's mind. all specialists isn't it my mum uh, is was a nurse she ended up going down the cancer specialist route after my brother but within the different areas it's very generalised isn't it the, yeah. the training's very generalised <laughs> yeah. especially for GB, GP practice because there's so many different areas it's the cancer it's gynaecology whether it's all these different areas paediatrics and I guess they are they are jack of all trades but not necessarily masters of any of those areas are there and as you say there are I guess inevitably without extensive training in all the areas going to be some areas that unfortunately slip and it's a massive one isn't it it's a it's a huge one but I think the problem is that they're not even they're not even doing any training on any of it no like they're not even approaching it during the training there are there are modules that they can take but they're not they're optional. not optional that's yes, crazy optional isn't it? half modules. the population yes and it's an optional yes it's it's, it's wild to me so yeah. then then it kind of now really makes sense as to why it was such a struggle you know on that yeah. fertility journey but yeah so then we went back and had ivf uh in the end because iui wasn't working second time round um and then i ended up with 
obviously twins. Um, but then after that, my periods came back, I was in agony and I was just thinking, there's gotta be more to life than this. Like yeah. that I'm, that, that, yeah, so that's when my healing journey really started. So I did it the other way. Okay. <laughs> well, no, but advice. do you know what? I think ev- the, the, the beauty of, of uh, the human human race is that everyone finds their own route. I mean, I didn't start my journey of whatever description um, until 46, you know, 45, 46, which is a long while after, I guess, the earliest trauma, which was my brother dying at 14. So, you know, it it was the right time for me waiting till then for whatever reason you know my sister started earlier because of the career path she took in psychology so yeah. i think everyone i mean whenever it happens it's the right time for you and there's no right or wrong is there no. um so on the flip side of what brings you joy and happiness what brings you stress and anxiety mm. i think i still find leaning into the unknown a challenge okay um I'm much better, but it feels really challenging when there's a lack of, suddenly it feels like a big lack of control of, yeah. of everything around. Um, so that that definitely is one. And I find, I still find money a challenge, you know, to, to navigate The management that. of it? Or like relationship, relationship with money. With it, yeah. Being in trust that the money will come. Yeah. Self-employed life is dysregulating for the nervous system. Well, it is if it's not, <laughs> You know, if you were in a job and then moved into it, I always, you know, I've always been freelance. I've more recently taken a part-time job job, first time ever. And it's quite, for me, the other way round is so bonkers. I mean, like the whole idea of it, an external situation being, I mean, yeah, for me, it's wild the other way round. But I do think it's, it's not everyone's comfort zone being freelance. A combination of, having had a really big fuck it button from very young um, and more recently realising ADHD and and these other things. For me, I struggle with being told what to do and the, the boundaries of control. I've worked with different companies over the years a bit more, even like in TV, I worked for QVC for a while and it was brilliant whilst I was just freestyling it doing it my way and then they just wanted to script me some pre-record stuff I'm like oh my god don't script me like you're right, not yeah. going to get the best out of me if you tell me what to do mm. if you want the good stuff the magic then I am better to be rolling it um, on live TV <laughs> where in theory it's kind of potentially really stressful but actually for me I guess the other way to you like I find the unknown like a really comfortable place mm. and that's not the case for everyone I realise that um so, and I think that I, yeah, moving into freelance after being in, I mean, you just don't have to think about tax, you don't have to think about national insurance, you don't have to worry about what day you get paid. As a freelancer, I mean, even after doing it for years and years and years, you kind of some, almost humour yourself, eventually. I'm like, oh God, it might not come in. You say yes, to, in theory, you can take holidays when you want, mm. but the practicality is you never take them because you're worrying about when the next job's coming. Right. And and trust in freelance work is is difficult. I think even when you've been doing it a long time, so it's certainly a big change moving into that headspace. And if you do naturally struggle with the relationship with money and and that side of things, it does just take a, a different mindset, doesn't it? It's mm. it's not always the easiest. Um, so explain to me and the audience, Naomi, what so your journey, I guess, into the world of vaginas um, began with your own and through the process of um, of 
of children. Mm-hmm. So explain to me or as um, how that then kind of that journey became um, where you are now mm. as a kind of guide and and teacher in vaginas. I mean, and, and maybe what a vaginologist is, because I, know, I think people might have heard it on like a goop. They might have heard the word used. Yeah. But one, in your words, what is it? How did you get there? And 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 how is that different to, I guess, like the sort of gynecology and the sort of more medical side of things? Yeah, yeah. I. I just started to realize that we're not empowered enough in general. Yeah. And I guess connecting back to you talking about even doctors not having that knowledge. So yeah. Having to find it yourself. Yes. And, um, you know, I became an absolute expert in all things <laughs> sperm and lack yeah. of. Um, and I was like, gosh, I'm having to really understand this, but I'm still not understanding my own body. And yeah. then you understood his before you yeah, understood your own. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then, so yeah, that's what happened. And then it was like, okay, well, you can come over. Oh, darling, just come over to the sperm. And I'm like, right, I'm literally going to go on a plane. I was actually standing on the airport, like tarmac with, um, you know, cruise goers, you know, and then it's like me at 5am going, snipping over for some sperm. But also hoping <laughs> that I'm nipping over and I haven't already ovulated because I don't have a fucking clue. Yeah, like, yeah. she's like, just make sure, you know, when do you ovulate? When do you, how long's your cycle? All this, it just, we don't have a clue about any of it because we yeah. shut it all down with the pill quite often or haven't had the education through school. So that frustrated me, and that was the start of it, really, meeting a group of women over in Athens who took me under their wing and supported me and showed me what sisterhood was. I was like, oh, well, wow, like this is so healing and nourishing, and now I'm really understanding my body. And it just started to um, click into place for me, and then I had a lot of questions from random people about it who genuinely, like, asked me to go for coffee and ask me loads of questions about it and I was thinking I kind of need to educate myself in this yeah. as a teacher it's, it's you know you're always like what can I learn next? yeah yeah uh, so yeah well, it's feeling like you're in power before you empower others isn't it right. I mean it's kind of exactly it's, it because it's such a sensitive area literally and figuratively it's you don't want to be giving wrong information do you I mean it's because that's almost as bad as none and there's plenty of that around now I'm in this world I see yeah. people who will just make out as though they have these this is the thing because it's holistic anyone can make out as though they have these like you know this training um, and this understanding these qualifications and they don't and I'm like presumably it's not very regulated no it's not very regulated and and it frustrates me because I've done a a big deep dive and uh, done a lot of training (laughs) again figuratively literally (laughs) literally (laughs) and um, yeah I I want people to feel empowered but from a space of genuine like understanding of how their body works and what they need so yeah, so I, I just did a lot of training, um, mainly with uh, people who I really felt had like a real rounded approach to the work that they were doing. And so then I ended up um, focusing on the womb, like really working with the womb um, over time. Um, and then there was this, I read this book um, by Tamilin Kent, it's called Wild Feminine. and. I was reading it as part of some breathwork training that I was doing, some feminine breathwork training. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm obsessed with Tammy Lynn Kent. She's based in America. Um, and then I found out that she did training here. And I was like, oh, okay. So she every now and then comes to London. So what's her title? What so title she, did she give she herself? Is, um, so she actually is um, in hospitals doing okay. um, pelvic care. 
um, but then she went into it in a holistic way. She was so like, she started off from a medical perspective yes, and then moved. Yes, and then moved into the more holistic realm because she was like, we're missing something in the in the hospitals. Yeah, um, we're not able to bring in the spiritual and the emotional body. Yeah, um, and so yeah, so I, I did some training with her as well, um, and that was one of the last kind of pieces of the puzzle was the vagina basically. Yeah. And then I put a thing out in Margate being like, hey, would anybody like to come for a vagina massage? I just want to like try it. I actually put it on a local Facebook group. So um, you can imagine it had a mixed response on the local <laughs> Facebook group. But I had loads of women who were like absolutely keen. This blew my mind because I thought yeah. it'd be such a taboo. And I also thought, oh, this will just be something that I would do with a client in, and as we build a relationship but there are people just coming to me straight away for a vagina massage and they and they're building a relationship from that standing point so starting huge. from a very personal place yes. so let's just because i'm sure people are <laughs> <laughs> are um curious as am i um yes. what what does a vagina massage entail well it entails first of all understanding the journey that somebody's been on yeah what I underestimated when I started doing this work was how many people would come to me with sexual assault trauma. Right, that's heavy, isn't it? That's a, that's a, it's quite a responsibility to kind of hold when someone's, I think when someone has gone through a lot and they're, and they're, they're going through a journey, whoever the first sort of person within, I guess, this healing journey, whether it's someone with Reiki, massage, therapist, that first point of call is 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 where the biggest release is going to be, isn't it? And it's quite a, yeah, it's quite a responsibility to be. Yeah, it's huge. Especially if you've gone through a lot of trauma yourself. It's huge, and that's when I started to realise what I was taking on. Yeah. And I do truly believe that the universe will align so that the right people are taking on the right, you know, the right spaces, and the right people are going to meet the right people. Yeah. But yeah, that was, I underestimated that. But what I often found as well was that because I'm openly talking about the vagina and the holding uh, patterns of the of the vagina, um, people would be like, I've been, I'd always check in with what they've had before. So I won't take on clients who haven't had some level of support before they've come to me. We won't, I won't um, be able to support them. So counseling yeah. or- well, It's people understanding, you know, that one, one thing is not going to be the solution for everything, but yeah. also you have to be careful when you're so desperate to, I don't know whether the word heal is, is always a good one, but go on a kind of process of understanding your past. That one thing you can't put every, it's, it's like with all of these gurus and, you know, whether it's the science route, the manifesting route, the whatever, like, it becomes quite cult-like, doesn't it? When people kind yes. of get focused on one route out of whatever they've gone through. Yes. And it's must be quite difficult to manage that, you know, when people are quite vulnerable if they've gone through a lot. Yeah, I need to be really careful with where they've been before because yeah. people don't understand <clears throat> that going for coming for a vagina massage can open you up yeah. hugely because it's, you know, it's very intimate and there's a lot of layers to it. So, yeah, I have to understand the journey that they've been on and then sometimes they'll say I've been on a really big journey they'll explain what the journey is but then they'll say but I'll be honest I haven't opened up about this event that's happened to me yeah. and I only feel safe to do that with you you know it may have been that the counsellor was a man and they didn't feel that they yeah, could yeah. and so yeah so it's interesting so it's a physical 
It's a physical, internal. internal massage, but first of all, it's it's first and foremost the emotional holding of whatever's unfolded, and it's only if the the vagina opens and feels ready do we go internal with the massage. It's actually plenty just to be in the energy field of the vulva. It's actually plenty just to touch the labia in itself. And in fact, if somebody is struggling with vaginismus, which if or vulvodynia, and if you don't know what that is, it's basically where there's a pain. Mm. Vulva can be like a generalized pain day to day all the time and it doesn't necessarily make it clear as to where it's stemming from within the vulva within the bowl pelvic bowl um, but vaginismus is if um, somebody goes to put something in to the vagina and so that can feel like daggers like genuine like they are being stabbed with daggers in the root and no can really truly understand that unless you've gone through it so actually just to touch the labia can feel like somebody stabbing them mm. um so actually it's the ability for the body to no longer be in brace position yeah. fearing whatever it is that's going to happen well we don't always realize where we hold tension do we i mean i recently for the first time had a mouth massage and jaw oh, yes and with lizzie Eucalyptus, and I, yes. I mean, it's. I've had many different kinds of massages and done Ayurvedic retreats in India, and you know, been laid out on a wooden slab and, <laughs> and like sort of tip massages from a little Indian older lady and all sorts, and totally open to all of that. But it's quite a thing, and actually, we just would never think that like in the jaw is where we hold a lot of tension, and, and I guess likewise a relevance whether you've had any actual. Sexual or you know uh, trauma. Actually, we don't always recognize. You know, we think a little shoulder rub, um, and we've kind of released it all. And I guess that awareness of 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 where you personally hold your trauma. I'm more aware of where it goes to first, or where the long. And actually, go for my uh, journey of going through working through all the different bits. It, it came out physically. It was a physical purging mm -hmm. through the therapy and the Reiki and and the physio because I was a hundred years old. But like uh, trying to understand what is a physical pain and what's an emotional block or an emotional trauma is it's quite a quite a mad, quite a wild kind of journey, isn't it? Um, I want to just ask you, and I think we'll carry on understanding more about this probably through through this question i guess um because we're talking about with the with vagina massages and the and the work that you're doing now it's making quite big life changes for other people but for you what's your earliest memory not maybe not realizing that you were of consciously pressing your fuck it button i mean we don't we probably wouldn't have ever labeled it as that but that idea of consciously letting go of fear overthinking judgment shame and just fuck it life short i had this trajectory of being a primary teacher and when you're a primary teacher you're always like that's it for life and you yeah, just move up very stable very stable very quintessential life really when yeah. you think about it and um yeah when when ali was diagnosed with the zoo i was like and then i had my hormone test and they said that my hormones weren't right for ivf and the nhs just quit teaching to just be like, right, then what? I'm like, well, did you I'm know quitting. when you <laughs> did you know when you what what 
what made you kind of press and, and, and make that change at that moment? Was it just having a, a sort of gut feeling that you needed to focus on other things? Or? Yeah, it was this feeling of, I can't just nip off to Athens if I when I'm ovulating in the middle of a class. <laughs> Sorry, <Athens>. kids. I'm <laughs> just gonna... <laughs> Just go on break. I'll go and play and skip in the background. I'll be back in. <laughs> exactly. So there was Yeah, that's not going to work. Though. No, it wasn't going to work. And then I had my son... And well, that was whilst you were still teaching. Yeah, so I went, I was like, I'm quitting teaching. And then I was like, well, I'll do, well, I'll do supply around going to Okay, Athens. so still Deep hanging Athens. on. Hanging on, hanging on. And then had my son and I dabbled with this like handmade business that I was doing. And then I was like, now fuck it. Now I'm definitely okay, not Okay, so it was like a sort teaching. of like a pre-fuck it button. And then like the, the hard, yeah, that was the hard it. go. The Done. hard. Yeah. How did that feel? How did that feel? The, I guess it was staged with doing the first bit, but I guess there was something in you, as you say, sort of hanging on to. I mean, it was a big change if you, especially if you're going from, as you say, the stable job to then the idea of unknown and then potentially freelance. Yeah. And having a child that yeah. you're then responsible for. How did that feeling? How, how did that resonate, that feeling? I think what happened was I felt so much pain and struggle over the years Yeah. that driving off the last day, because I ended up taking on a part-time job at the very end of the teaching part. So I did supply, but I was a really good teacher. Yeah. So everyone was like, can I, can we, can we have you? And I was like, oh. And the last one I was like, all right, all right, part-time, part-time. Um, yeah. And then when I drove off, I remember thinking, that's it, I'm never going back to teaching. And that felt really liberating, yeah. but really scary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I think that place of um, the fuck it button is, I've talked about it with some of the other guests, it's, it's that kind of, it's that safe and free at the same time. It's a really weird blend of, it's like, that. It's I guess it's that feeling comfortable with the unknown that you talked about that you kind of struggle with, but it's, it's such a deep sense of freedom that it's more than the feeling of the uncomfortable. And I guess, I think the more we can get our heads into a mindset of the idea of not knowing what's happening going to happen next doesn't mean it's going to be a bad thing like connecting the idea of the unknown and freedom with a potential idea of possibility opportunity and positivity rather than unknown being connected to scary fear wrong you know um is 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 a mindset change isn't it and it's so but there must have been something in you that was really deep connected to your gut. You were following your gut by doing it. So even though it was scary, that's actually, I mean, yeah, let's talk about it in science. So that feeling of anxiety and excitement is the same physical reaction. And and actually, I think it's Mel Robbins that talks about it, can, you know, changing when you're feeling scared or anxious about something, telling, tricking yourself that you're actually excited about it because it's the same physical reaction but mentally it's either positive or negative. Yeah. And and actually, I mean, I I am that person that I love. Like, I love the unknown. I love the sort of, my whole career has been built around being daily open to whatever comes. And that has meant 
like random opportunities have come. It's like getting a phone call. Do you want to come to wherever tomorrow and launch the whole thing for Al Jazeera English? I'm like, yeah, sure, why not? Just dressing Miley Cyrus for Disney. Totally random, different. Why not? Like, mm. fuck it. Fuck it. I suppose it's always been a fuck it. But it's it's not everyone's sort of natural place. And it does take time. to, And it is a mindset change rather than a physical change, isn't it? But you followed your guts mm. and and thought, fuck it, do it anyway. Yeah. And trusted on some level. It's, it's Again, it's that idea of having... I thought I was impulsive and probably some deemed reckless. What I've realised over the years was now I just had a really strong connection to my gut and followed it. Mm -hmm. And it just meant I didn't have to question it. I didn't have to go through that process of even like the decision making. It's like, we're doing that. Yeah, we'll buy the house. That is a good house. I don't need to see 10 others. Like, that is what I need. So why would I waste my time and energy going through a whole process? Whereas for some people, that sort of analysis, the process, is that they need that process. Mm -hmm. um, I clearly have a very hard, strong fuck it button that has driven me through life, hence hence sort of getting to the point of understanding the benefits to others as a podcast. But so you took that leap mm -hmm. and, and followed a new path mm -hmm. and did the trust pay off? Like, did you, did, was it, you know, was there quite a lot to work through after that? Yeah, I think people might see me now and what they don't realise is that when I quit, I was doing this part-time um, business and I was working in Waitrose. Yeah. And people were like, why you work? Why would you leave a teaching career yeah. to work in Waitrose? Yeah. Because it gave me so much more than continuing with my teaching career. Yeah, yeah. Well, it gave you the space, didn't it? Because you didn't have to focus on anything working have, there. Yeah, and exactly. Your energy was left to exactly. to slowly build your business. Exactly. And then I landed in a job uh, with a startup, a period company startup. And I learned a lot from that, like seeing them. And then I was then I was on this healing journey and it gave me this space to just really explore what it is that I need so that I would be in the best space possible when I started doing this work. Even though I didn't know this is what I was gonna do. If you'd have said to me when I quit that teaching job yeah. and I had the meeting with the head and then I walked out, hey, so you're gonna talk about vaginas <laughs> a lot. I'd be like, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you know what? I mean, I think if it's like, you know, my kids are now teenage and, you know, even though it doesn't matter really what they're going to do in their futures, it does start to become a bigger question or conversation at school or they start to question. It's like, what am I going to do with my life? I'm yeah. like, chill. You're like, my son had like a proper existential crisis at 13 of like, oh my God, I'm going to move out in five years. I don't know what <laughs> I'm going to do. I don't know who I am. I'm not what I'm good at. I'm like, don't worry. Like, just, you know, let let the balls drop. Let's let the hair grow in. Let's like just take it one step at a time. Let's just manage the hormones first. But I think, I mean, reflection is a massive tool. But I think what we have to remember, and I think in part of going through a journey or process of dealing with past, it's it's making sure that as we work through it, that we reflect rather than live in the past, don't we? And it's mm. quite different, isn't it? And that idea of reflecting hindsight, foresight, imagining what you might be doing, planning too far forwards, thinking too far back, yeah. and just using it as reflection and 
and sort of vision rather than sort of regret focusing on the past and then too much planet too much kind of um future it you know it's a cliche maybe but that whole idea of the power of now living in the present gold i can't tell you know it's so important isn't it kind of to really be the only way you can really press your fuck it button is to be just in that moment because otherwise if the overthinking and the fear comes from looking at the future if you are in the present you don't fear because you you could don't even think about the future mm-hmm. and you don't worry about the past i've now taken what i need from the past and even though i can't change any of the experiences i can change my relationship with it mm-hmm. and i now it's now just data and information rather than any emotion held in it and it's quite a bizarre different place to be in but when you're at that stage of pressing it and looking forwards too much then that's when you start the overthinking and 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 fear don't you it's um it's just we are amazing as humans and it's just having a bit of a trust isn't it and i guess that's what you've had to do through each of those bits of process so that was kind of quite a big bucket button moment button moment making that change is that the so is there a what would be the biggest moment of fuck it? Was it then or has it been since or before? Like sort of the biggest impact button, like that's had the most. I genuinely think that would be it because um, that was my life. I lived and breathed it and I worked 50, 60 hour weeks. And there was, that, that was, that was it. There was nothing else. So for me to start transitioning into this work, it just sort of flowed naturally. And I didn't, I didn't overthink any of it. I didn't really notice it. I didn't really notice I was pressing any kind of button. I was just like, oh, and this, and this. And um, I think perhaps another part of the journey where I I pressed another massive one was going on TikTok, which some people wouldn't think much of. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, at the time I was 33 and going on TikTok and I was like, well, I don't dance, I don't (laughs) floss. Uh, What even is TikTok? and I was getting really frustrated with life on Instagram. And then I, my mentor was like, you should go on TikTok. And I was like, no, okay, no. And then I just was like, all right, fuck it. I'll just do a video and see how it goes. So I did a lot of like research, coaching with her, went and did one. And within 10 days I went viral. And what was the video about? The vagina. <laughs> <laughs> the video was uh, okay. The fir- yeah, the first video that went viral was that um, the key to your success lies in your vagina. Yeah, and that the vagina holds on to emotions was then subsequent part of that video, and then another video on that as well. But it hit um, uh, over the over a weekend. I went from zero followers to twenty thousand followers. Yeah, that's big, isn't it? Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, TikTok is quite easy to grow it's slightly different to instagram isn't it i mean because i know i've seen (laughs) my daughter i think quite quickly was at like eighty thousand. i had no idea what she was actually doing it wasn't even her in the videos she was re-editing content and putting her own messaging over it yes and yeah i mean she was i'm rubbing it in my son's face because he was like trying his hardest to do some hilarious comedy content that was (laughs) going nowhere Yes, TikTok, and is she was like space. smashing it. Yes, it's it's really great. It's really great. Um, Were they the right audience for you? I well, mean, I suppose that's the thing with talk, tick, talk, talk, TikTok. Talk, TikTok. Yes. You can get a lot of eyes because of the sensationalism of it. Because of the, 
interest, but I suppose the bit to, I guess, understand as you've gone on that journey is how much of that is then potential audience for you that are going to engage and become a part of your community and world I guess yeah is that something that's that was it really was that I I'd been talking about um fertility awareness method I've been talking about you know the points of discharge and I've been talking about periods but then uh when I talked about the vagina that's what people really wanted to hear yeah and it was that that was like oh okay so I have basically like permission online to be more about the vagina yeah that was what it gave me and so now that's where my focus really is um and it was that really that enabled me to to have more interest in the work that i'm doing and grow the community that i have were they all not no i received a lot of abuse right uh and what kinds of people all sorts of people you know yeah. what um, kind of thing were they saying this is disgusting. This is an app for children. Yeah. You know, it's like I'm there with my. You know, I mean, that's my... you know, I guess that's what it began as, but it certainly wasn't. No, it's not it's, like that. It's now. Not, well, it's not that anyway, is it? It's, a, it's actually just a social media platform. Um, but... you know, I had I had ex children find me from teaching. Oh Jesus, so that, <laughs> that was hilarious. Uh, what's happened to you, Miss Price? Oh, oh my goodness. Um, yeah, and um. You know, I had a lot of duets, like stitches, if people don't know, it's where they then like, they bring your video into their video and they would take the piss. Um, but a lot of the ones who took the piss actually got me clients. So I'm very grateful to them. Okay. Uh, where clients, Interesting. Yeah, they would like join a workshop and go, yeah, I, th- I actually found you from this video that was taking the mic, but I this was like, in- that's really interesting. But I actually it? thought like... you're onto something, and yeah, then join yeah, yeah. my workshop. I mean, it's <laughs> it's quite mad. The whole it is. I mean, I to be honest with you, as a 47 year old woman, I would say my knowledge of my own vagina and uh, internal is very limited, um, and I do find myself thinking about it more. Ironically, actually. Uh, before us coming into the studio, uh, chatting with some friends after yoga, actually about gynecology and for me having had children, no pelvic floor, it's now having a real, Mm. a massive problem for me running. Uh, Like like, um, affecting mental health as well because it's really quite, it's not easy, but kind of more thinking about it. And I have a daughter and Mm. she is, she hasn't yet, a lot of her friends have, but she hasn't started a period yet. She's kind of desperate because she's heard you get tits and she wants tits. (laughs) But actually, do you know what? It's funny, like when she was younger, we had someone that was looking after them after school. They're in the playground or park. And we've, we've always been quite honest and used the right words for things and kind of just been quite honest as much as possible about conversations there was no new new in our household <laughs> and and Frida was in the playgrounds and um I think these older boys came up to her and either called her something like I don't know they called her a dickhead or some something that was using the slang of genitals yeah. as an abusive yeah. sort of rant at her and her response was in her mind they called her a private part mm-hmm. so she threw one back she's like well you're a vagina and and the the, the response like I was like yeah like well done like she w- wasn't even a swear word she could have said fuck off mm-hmm. and actually the other parents in the playground would have been okay with that which is mental but we got through the the 
some person that was looking after the kids after school that all these mums were outraged that she'd used the real word for her privates and if she'd said you know even C-U-N-T I don't know why I'm spelling it out but um, <laughs> um, or it said fuck off then they would have been alright with it but the fact that the idea she was using the word vagina they just were horrified by it. and I'm like wow. that's so odd yeah. like if I'd said boob or we'd said bum like what what is it why is it we're so conditioned? You know, the, as you said, the lack of education. I've had to teach Frida about periods. Now, clearly, I slightly fucked up because even though I thought I'd done quite well explaining it all and she knew all about it and was prepared, she then said, oh, yeah, but it only lasts a year. I'm like, oh, shit, somehow, oh. somehow I messed up and she thought they were only for I'm like, I'm so sorry. You've got it for a really long time. But none of that has come from school. None of that education has come from school. No. So what do you think needs to change? What can, what can, you're doing what you can to mm-hmm. support women with wherever they are. Mm-hmm. But what do you think should or could be done on a wider scale to help this education and understanding of what actually how our female parts are made up what they do, what they can do, what they hold, you know, what's, how can we actually connect and and look after ourselves in a better and educated way? And it is the education is key, right? Yes. And um, a lot of parents will think that the school will do it. Yeah. Or, you know, rely on somebody external to to support their child. But unfortunately, that leaves more questions. We only have to look at how much children question everything. And if we're shutting down the conversation around their genitals, well, then this is only going to be hugely problematic. We especially now need to be aware that children will come across free porn. They will come across it. If you think your child won't, unfortunately, your child will. Okay, it's going to happen. and we have to be aware that schools education the curriculum has changed in the last two years they've made it supposedly better but it depends on the teacher it depends on the school and also when they were doing this there were actual protests in birmingham to stop this from actually going through the curriculum going through you know um uh so so actually it stems from being in the household and with you getting comfortable with the words you understanding what your vulva is about your vagina is about where your clitoris is mm. understanding that nowadays we know that the clitoris has 10,000 nerve endings and we thought that the clitoris only had eight based on a cow um so <laughs> oh, you know like all these small like yeah, so like, much so much that we're not really aware of because science is so behind because yeah, science yeah. doesn't prioritize uh feminine health but you can educate yourself so that you empower your children. So yeah. if periods have been a challenge for you and you're somebody who's like, I don't want to bleed, I don't like the idea of that, yeah. taking time to understand where that stemmed from. Was that because when you grew up, you didn't have support? Yeah, yeah. And so how could you change that narrative with your child? Um, and if you're somebody who's um, like really unaware and, and really disconnected from their own vulva, 
um, then understanding maybe what journey you could start to go on to start to bring in that that connection so that you can you know inform those around you yeah. better if there's there's a lot there's just a distinct lack of of education and shutdown in society yeah. it's not anybody's fault no, it's no. just that we things change and yeah. hopefully we're going in the right direction yeah improving the more that that our children have access in fact to to this information perhaps on social media through yeah. platforms like mine there's plenty of people people out there doing this work now that yeah. can really support um those coming through but essentially it's been a shutdown in society my real controversial opinion is that we should be really taking a long hard look at how we approach contraception and how the doctors are giving out contraception yeah. but that's a whole other story, though. <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's it is quite mind-blowing and i think it's not it's not that it's our parents fault there just no. wasn't the information out there. it's the same as with sun creams with all of these different things we just yes. didn't have you know it's the same with even like the adhd thing all of these different conversations the information just wasn't there no. so it is no one's fault but i guess it's embracing where we're at now yeah. and and you, as you say using that i mean i would say I would definitely benefit from more understanding and um, education around it. And maybe there's a mother-daughter sort of yes. area for you even with work. Because I think, you know, I guess it's acknowledging that there's a gap and and maybe, that you know, it's going on the journey even together. Um, but it's probably also, it's then, it's not just being this information for the women, is it? And the girls, it's also the more men understand, you know, it's kind of impacts so much. So, Naomi, we do, I don't really do regret, but on reflection, is there any moment in your past that you wish you'd pressed your fuck it button? Mm. Or like, you know, you kind of think might things might have been different if you had. Mm. That's a really good question. I mean, we're not always, as connected to our gut or feeling strong enough to be able to but I guess if there's a time that you feel things could have been different if I did then yeah I think when I went into my primary education te uh, training there was a moment where um there was a whole hoo-ha and um I wish I just walked away from it then and there yeah and then I wouldn't have necessarily have forced myself into a career that um really bound me to you know the way that everybody had thought my life should unfold yeah. it was everyone around me really so their projection of your future yes. more than your own yes even though i was really great at it and i really loved it and it's yeah. really informed me now it's not a regret it's just no. perhaps i it could have been different yeah perhaps my trajectory could have been different yeah. yeah i mean i guess you know as the old tattoo says and like i say it's this is not really the question is not about regret and I, I guess there was whatever you were meant to learn on that path as a primary school teacher was was sent for you to know for what you're doing now. But it's just interesting. I think it's interesting. I think the reason why it can benefit thinking about the past is more just to give you the fire for doing it in the future. Mm -hmm. So it's like, well, I didn't press it then, but I know what that feels like now. I think talked a lot on this podcast about the feeling um, yeah. of of pressing the fuck it button as you said like that freedom um, and I think when you know that feeling it is a feeling you want again isn't it it's mm. kind of like you know how empowering that can feel how free it can feel how much in the letting go 
on another level, you kind of taking control. Mm. You're taking control to then fly. And I sort of love, you know, the other tattoo <laughs> is the roots and wings, which comes from this. I what I feel I got from my parents within all the different bits that went on. That's what I feel I got from them. It's how I'm trying to parent. It's actually now become part of my teaching philosophy, having taken a, a job doing some of that. And I think it's it's when you know that feeling, it is addictive um, and not in a sort of addiction way. But is there is there a moment like sort of present or future that you hope that you can press your fuck it button that that you kind of like yeah like I'm gonna press it this is gonna or I want to or you hope sort of within where you're at or where you're going well I'm currently in the middle of crowdfunding for a book that I've written okay um what's the title of the book in your vagina lies the key to your happiness okay great <laughs> um but it's not been very easy to yeah. to crowdfund yeah. for uh, a book on the vagina. <laughs> turns out, yeah. Even though I know this is going to change so many people's perspectives yeah. and give so many people uh, a new outlook on their relationship. Is this an adult? Is like written sort of? For it's adults, for like fifteen or? upwards. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I. Yeah, now I need it's the money side of it to, yeah. to put a book out. You could you could put a book out, not not properly, you know, do all the processes, but it needs for me. I believe it needs to go through the process that any other book would go through. And yeah. I chose purposely not to go to a publisher for many reasons. But um, next year it's going to be a matter of well, fuck it, am I going to put it out there or aren't I? Basically, okay. so that's where. I'm well, <laughs> I guess who knows where that fuck it button will need to come. I guess. It, I think the more we stay connected to our intuition and gut, then then the more we'll know when's the right time to press our bucket button. I think we don't listen, do we? We kind of like given clues and signs through life quite often. People are like, oh, but this didn't happen. It's like, how many times do you need to be shown yes. what you need to do? And you're not listening. And whether it's, you know, you're religious and believe it's from God, or whether it's from universe or whatever you feel as far as how you take direction. But I think we live such busy lives and we get so focused, as you said earlier, of like, of, as you did before, of living, doing, what's next, what's next, what's next, what's next. It's impossible to stay connected to your intuition when you do that, isn't it? And I think the moment you kind of just take a bit of time to, you know, stay connected, then you will just be more aware of when is the right time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so, just want to ask you, what piece of advice would you have for our next guest around when they should, like what it feels like, how, when, like pressing their fuck it button, what advice would you give of like why, why someone should press it and how that feels? I think the advice would be that there will never be a right time. Yeah. There's never a right time. No. That the time will just be the time when you're there and you go, that's it, I'm done now. I'm yeah. done with that narrative. Yeah. I need a new narrative. Yeah. Um, and how that would then feel is, if you feel liberating, then you know that it's exactly the right button that you, that yeah. you should have pressed it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, that, that liberating. freedom. Yeah. It's definitely never the right time, is it? And I think it's, um, we can overthink it and, and want things to be perfect before we, yes. before we do it. I mean, I remember even, 
talking again about children. I remember this sounds so ridiculous. I was on a filming job with Mylene Class and I was oh. styling her. And um, well, no, I was on camera as well. We were kind of doing this whole secondhand chic thing for one show. And we talked about it. And I think she, she was pregnant at the time. I was dressing her for the L Awards. And I was sort of saying, oh, yeah, I'm kind of, I was older than her. And I was like, yeah, kind of like, but I'm freelance. It's like, there's never a good time to have a baby. It's like, what do I, you know, I don't get paid. Like, I'm going to take some time off. Like, it's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. And I remember her <laughs> wise words from Myling Glass. I remember her saying to me, it is never the right time. Mm. Just do it. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, it's, um, I guess it's, it's just, you know, if you wait for the right time for anything, it will pass yeah. and then it will end up becoming a regret or reflection and just press the There's press a the really button. great book that if anyone's never read, it's Big Magic by Elizabeth, is it Elizabeth Gilbert? But okay. Big Magic is yeah. a book and it's about this and about yeah. ideas that come to you. Yeah. And they'll keep coming and they'll keep like trying to remind you that this is yeah, what you yeah. need to be doing or this is where you need to be going. And if you don't listen, they'll just bugger off and find the next person. And yeah, you'll yeah. see that idea and, and then you'll you... go, that was what I was supposed to do. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, you had your chance. <laughs> Listen, life is short. <laughs> Fuck it. <laughs> thanks so much, Naomi. It's, um, thanks for being so honest and open about your journey and work. And I think wishing you all the luck uh, with the book. And, you know, what is meant to be will come. And and I look forward to being able to read that book. Thanks so much. And, and, you know, maybe becoming a part of some of the workshops that you're doing. For sure, we all need a bit more education around the topic. But thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me, Zara. It's such an honour. <laughs> thanks for listening. We hope that some of what you've heard today has inspired you to live in the present, focus on the joy, and know that you've only got one life so fuck it. Press your fuck it button and join the revolution. Pod people.